Thanks for tuning in to High Point Assembly's podcast, where you're going to hear a life-giving message that we hope will encourage you no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. Check out our website at highpointassembly.org for more podcasts, information, and how to join us live in person or online every Sunday. We hope this message blesses you wherever you may be listening from. And remember, no matter where you're at, you belong. Well, we are now in week eight of our study in the book of Colossians that we have titled Made for More. And as you will recall, last week we talked about how this epistle, as well as many of the epistles, starts out with preparation. It's all about what's inside of us. It's about what we know to be true and our knowledge of who we are in Christ Jesus. It's all about our identity. But then how this epistle and all the epistles, there comes a turning point where it moves from preparation to presentation. The presentation part is being grounded in the knowledge of the reality of our identity in Christ. And because of that, we now start to live in a new way, as a new creation. It's how we present ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ to our world. Our scripture reference for today is going to be Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. You can turn there if you'd like while you're doing that. You're going to probably recognize the first three verses because they were part of last week's message. But I realized that they were far too important for us to just skim over. So I wanted to use them as a starting point once again for today's message. We are going to review and we're going to elaborate on these essential words penned by the Apostle Paul on how the Christian life is to be lived. We're going to read our scripture reference today in its entirety, and then we're going to go back and break it down as we move along like we've been doing through this entire series. So follow along with me for Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. If you don't have your Bible, it will be up on the screen behind me. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul starts this scripture reference this morning with these words, as God's chosen people. And I want you to think about those words for just a moment. Number one, you were chosen. Out of all of the people walking on planet earth, you were indeed blessed to hear about his amazing grace somehow. While there are millions of others who due to cultural or religious or governmental issues will hardly ever hear about it in their lifetime. But you have. And not only are you chosen, but you also fall into another special category. You are holy. And you might say, well, I don't feel very holy, Pastor David. I'm far from it. Well, let me just say to you, you are not holy in and of yourself. You are holy by what Christ did for you. 
And not only are you chosen and holy, but you are also dearly loved by God. And it's a kind of love that we have a hard time grasping because God's love cannot be measured in human terms. It's a different kind of love than anything that we have ever experienced before. It's a kind of love that honestly, you and I have a difficult time even generating. And this is why Christ came. God loved you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his son, who he loves with that same kind of indescribable love. And he did so so that you and I could be set free. And so that he could be in a relationship with us, his children, who he loves so immensely. And because you are chosen, and because you are holy, and because you are dearly loved, God, through the Apostle Paul, provides us with preparation, establishing that you are indeed all of those things, establishing your identity as a follower of Jesus. And because of that fact, we are now instructed how to present ourselves to this world. So let's go back to the verse, first verse in our scripture reference, verse number 12, where Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We are to clothe ourselves daily with the characteristics that show we are indeed the chosen children of God. If you remember the phrase that I used last week, we talked about shedding the old clothes, the old self, and putting on the new wardrobe that has been afforded to us through Christ Jesus. Paul says, clothe yourselves with these things. And that's a phrase that is used frequently in the Bible. Jesus told the disciples in Luke chapter 24 to be clothed with power from on high. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter challenged the people to clothe themselves with humility. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, the people are called to be clothed with salvation. And here in this scripture, we are basically being taught that we need to be clothed with the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to briefly work our way through these different qualities, these fruit, once again, because they're so important to our daily Christian walk. Paul starts by saying, clothe yourselves with compassion. That is simply stating, have a soft heart for people who are in need. There's a real temptation to look at people in need and to be blinded by their struggle. And if we're not careful, we can cop a judgmental attitude instead of a heart of compassion. I believe with all my heart that the Lord would want all of us to start seeing life through the eyes of other people who are living under a completely different set of circumstances that we find ourselves living in. To start to, to see life through the eyes of the old, if you're a young person. To start seeing life through the eyes of the young, if you were an old person. Seeing lives through the eyes of a single mom, the eyes of a special, need family, special needs family, and all of the difficulties and struggles that come their way every day, or through the eyes of someone who is disabled, whose body is, is broken or doesn't function properly to allow them to hold down a job that you're able to hold down. It's having a soft heart for people in need. How are you doing on compassion? as Paul's asking us here. Then he says, clothe yourselves with kindness. 
It's interesting how kind we can be to people that we barely know. While at the same time, we can be so unkind to those who are the closest to us, those who we love the most. We kind of treat them in the opposite way. You can be home working on something, a project or something, and your spouse or your child may come to you and ask you if you'll do something for them. And often the response is, I'm really busy right now. I'm at a critical point. I'll have to help you later. A couple minutes later, the phone rings and you go, oh yeah, no, you're not interrupting me. I'll be glad to get you that information. Just give me a minute. Let me run in the other room. I'll get it and I'll get right back to you. How are you doing on kindness, particularly when it comes to those in your own household? Then Paul says, clothe yourselves with humility. And when Paul says this, he does so with a level of authenticity and passion. Because at one time in his life, the Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be prideful. He knew what it was like to be arrogant. He was not only a persecutor, but also a prosecutor of the early New Testament church. But one day, on the road to Damascus, he was blinded by a bright light, followed by the voice of Jesus himself, and it brought him to his knees. And he was never the same again. It humbled him. He spent the rest of his life clothed in an entirely different wardrobe, in an entirely different way. So Paul says, how are you doing on that one? Are you clothed with humility? He also says, clothe yourselves with gentleness. And gentlemen, I think it's important for me to say, gentleness is not wimpy. Gentleness means power under control. And the Greek word that was used there means exactly that. I used to work for a district manager who had been a college football player and was a bodybuilder his entire life. This guy looked like Charlie Atlas on steroids at about six foot five. He was just one of those big strapping guys that could probably mop the floor with most any guy he ever had an encounter with, but he never ever once did I see him try to intimidate anybody. He never used his mass or his muscle or his huge presence in a threatening way to his advantage that I could ever see, whether it was in the business world, whether it was in his personal relationships, or, or whether it was any way socially. I could never see that. Here was this big, powerful guy who had his power under control. And that's what gentleness is. Jesus had the, the power to raise the dead back to life. He had the power to raise his hands and say to a mighty storm, peace be still, and it would still. He had this kind of power, but his power was under control. And therefore, he was able to invite children to come to sit on my lap, and then he would lay his gentle hands on them, and he would bless them. Paul also says, clothe yourselves with patience. I think I've explained this to you before. If not, this may new, be new to you, but I struggle with patience, particularly when driving on the roads and the streets. And I'll explain why. I spent 10 years of my life as a manufacturer sales rep for a Fortune 500 company, and I covered three Western states. So I was in my car all the time. During those years, I saw about every stunt that could ever be pulled with a motor vehicle done right in front of my very eyes. As I, as I was in my car waiting to get to my next destination. And because I was a commissioned salesperson, time was money. And I became very impatient with the people who were on the road, since the car was my office, so to speak. 
And even just driving in the metropolis of Phoenix was a very trying time for my patients. But thank God he brought me to this town called Red Bluff. Isn't that great how God works? I don't have to deal with traffic jams anymore. I have followed a few of you to church before, and you have tested my patience. I was telling the early service that I followed a guy from this church to church one Wednesday when we had Wednesday night service, and I think it took me about 25 minutes to get here. It normally takes me about 12 and a half to 13 minutes. I couldn't pass. There was no place to pass, and I'm going, I was just getting so impatient. I didn't even know who it was. He pulled in the church. I kind of got out of my car and went the other way because I don't know if what my face was showing as he looked in the rearview mirror. But so I'm telling you, I've got an issue with patience when it comes to slow driving and people who don't pay attention, let's say. How many of you will pray for your pastor? All right. You know, for me, it might be traffic, patience in traffic. And I've admitted to you that that's a problem that I have. But for you, it might be patience in something else. It might be a lack of patience with your children. It might be a lack of patience with, with your employees or those people who you work with or those who you manage. Could be your friends. Who knows? How well are you wearing your patience today on the roadway, at work, with your colleagues, or even in your home? Well, Paul in verse 13 moves on to another crucial point here. He says, bear with each other, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Learning to bear with each other means bearing with things that, yes, even annoy you. Things that rub you the wrong way about a person or the way that they, they deal with life or the way they, some people have a hard time with just the way people talk. I don't know. I mean, you don't need to bear with someone that isn't annoying you. That's a no-brainer. You need to bear with someone if that person brings tension or difficulty into your life. But then he says, if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. How are you doing on this one? Are there any grudges being carried in your life that you're not dealing with? Has anyone wounded you? Has someone hurt you? Perhaps they've betrayed you or disappointed you. Are you working towards forgiveness? Or are you choosing to carry that grievance around in a nice little folded piece of paper in your pocket next to your heart? Can I just say that there is a large number of Christians out there in the world who are making themselves miserable because they have chosen not to offer forgiveness. They have chosen to carry a grudge around with them towards someone else. But here's the deal. We are all called to forgive. We are all called to be clothed with forgiveness. We've got, as I said last week, to put that stuff to death. We've got to put an end to it. And then the virtue above all others is found in verse 14. He says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, there's a natural outgrowth that, that comes from love, ladies and gentlemen, and that outgrowth bounds, binds everything together. When you are loving, you are going to be more compassionate. When you are loving, you are going to be kinder. When you are loving, there's going to be greater forms of humility and gentleness expressed in and through you. When you are loving, you're going to be more patient. When you are loving, you are going to learn to forgive. And when you put on love, 
all those things will become an outgrowth of that love. So let me ask you this morning, when you look at this mirror that the Apostle Paul has, has provided for us this morning, that I've been looking into now for the last week as I've prepared this, and through the content of these verses that I just read to you, would you say that you are wearing that new wardrobe that has been afforded to you by Christ Jesus? Are you wearing those new clothes that Christ has laid out for you? Are you fashionably together? Or would you say, spiritually speaking, you are still a bit fashion challenged? And let me just say this. If you are totally transformed, and if you have never had an unhealthy thought or feeling or action of any kind, then you have my permission to get up right now and you can walk out those doors and go home. But I will tell you, I will probably give you a phone call so we can discuss that big pride issue that's going on in your life. Because these things affect all of us. I don't care how far along you are in your Christian walk. We all struggle in these areas. That's why it's in the word of God. Paul is reminding us that we are to live this certain way. You see, my guess is that, that most of you would say, I've got some areas in my life where by God's grace, I have done a complete turnaround. And I say, thank you, Jesus, for that. I love it when I see people who get saved and through the power of God's spirit, you see transformation going on in their life. You see them not being what they once were. But I also feel like we would all probably say, there are areas still that I have to bring in line with God's grace. Someone emailed me this prayer. Perhaps you can identify with it. It says, dear God, So far today, I have done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been grumpy, nasty, or selfish. I haven't lied, stolen, or cheated. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And that's when I'm going to need a lot of help. You see, you don't have to be a Christian for very long to understand that we need a lot of help. Especially in this transformational process called sanctification that we talked about at length last week. Well, Paul explains some of the ways that help us to bring about this transformation in verses 15 and 16. And part of the answer that he provides here, I think is what most of us would expect. But then the other part, I think is kind of counterintuitive to us. It's not something that I think we would expect him to say. So let's start with the part that we would expect in verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. So we are called to peace to coexist with others in a peaceful way. As we walk through life, daily experiencing Murphy's Law, we all need the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. On the final night of, of Jesus' life, uh, life, before he was betrayed, he said to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Were the disciples going to face hardship and struggles and persecutions? You better believe they were. What was, were things going to be difficult for them? Yes. Were they going to be able to escape the grief that came from losing someone that they loved when Jesus died and was in the grave for three days? Yes, of course. But Jesus told them, in the midst of it all, I'm going to give you a peace that transcends your circumstances. 
I'm going to give you a peace that, that transcends your understanding. You see, through the Holy Spirit that indwells believers of Jesus Christ, you have the ability to maintain peace, even during sickness, even during loss, even during financial challenges, even during relational challenges. You can have peace when your spouse or your children are wayward or when your job has ended due to downsizing because of COVID or even when you get diagnosed with a disease, you can have peace. I've recently spoken to some business owners and I've discovered that many are under enormous pressure right now. Not just pressure from a struggling economy due to COVID and all the regulations and restrictions, but, but all kinds of taxes and expenses that have popped up because of that, and even new taxes that they're proposing that might be coming down the road. It seems like as you, when you own a small business, it's somebody constantly reaching into your pocket and taking some of what it is that you've earned. And I'm finding, and as you talk to business owners, how difficult it is today to turn a profit. The future has all kinds of question marks for these business owners. Their whole financial futures are at stake. So how do they get up each day in the midst of that? They do so with that peace that they experience in the midst of their storm. How do families that are dealing with internal challenges. How do they keep on keeping on? They do so with that peace that comes from God that helps them in the midst of the storm. How do people going through enormous grief, dealing with the loss of a loved one, how do they deal with the enormous pain and the heartbreak with the void of a loss like that in their life? It's peace in the midst of the storm. It's what the scriptures refer to as the peace that passes all understanding. When you are in Christ, you start to live with this peace, and you can't take this one for granted. There's all the difference in the world to people who know that peace of Christ, those who know that peace that passes all understanding, compared to those who go through difficult circumstances in their life, and they don't have anything to hold on to. They have nothing to center their soul. Because when you have that peace that I'm talking about that centers your very soul, no matter what your circumstances that you're going through, it helps you to be patient. It helps you to be compassionate. It helps you to be kind. It helps you to be loving. And it helps you, yes, to be forgiving. Think about people you know, your family, your friends, your, your colleagues, those who try to deal with difficulties that are thrown their way apart from that peace that comes from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't have that rock. They don't live with that sense of no matter what's going on right now, I know that there is ultimate victory out there for me. And so often they will respond with escapism. They will have to deaden or dull the pain. And often they start to medicate themselves. And when you think about it, if God can give you a peace that says, even if the worst happens in your life, it is well with your soul, then shouldn't that enable us to be able to have compassion and kindness and humility and patience and gentleness and forgiveness during the little fender benders of life? And if you think about it, that's what many of the things are that we get all riled up over. We as human beings tend to major on minors. 
We take such small and significant things and we blow them up to be something so big. But when we have the peace of Christ that rules our heart, we can overcome those things. We can put those things into the proper perspective and we can walk away not being affected by them and keeping our eyes solely focused on our Lord and Savior who holds our life and every circumstance in his hand. Let's move on to verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Now, I think that most of us would expect the Apostle Paul to say that because we know that we grow through teaching and we get challenged when we admonish one another. And as one who teaches, I got to let you know that it really excites me when I see people who, who want to grow, when I see people who want to go deeper in their relationship with the Lord. When you tell me that you were challenged by my message out in the foyer, that excites me. But I want you to look at what Paul says in the second half of verse 16, because this is where he throws us a curveball. And I don't think we, we would all expect that he says what he's saying here. He says, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. I want you to think about what Paul is saying here. There is an admonishing going on. What does it mean to admonish? It means to advise, to warn, to praise, to even reproach. He's saying that there is teaching going on. There is spiritual formation that is happening when what? When the members of, body, of the body of Christ sing to and with one another to God with gratitude in our hearts. I think when we come to a gathering like today, we have a certain mentality. We think that we are going to worship God with our singing, and then we are going to grow through the teaching. We are going to worship God through our music, and then we are going to dive into the Word of God and admonish one another through that. But Paul comes along, and he says this. He says, you may be worshiping with your singing, but you can also teach and admonish one another through songs, through hymns, through songs of the Spirit. You see, we've got a mutual responsibility to each other in this. Paul is saying you just can't blow off the music portion of our worship because it's so much more than just song time. We don't do music out of tradition at this church. We do music in order to prepare our hearts because it is so much more than, than as I said, music time. We do this to prepare our hearts and we do this to worship God. But now Paul says, we also do it as another way to admonish one another. In other words, there's not just one teacher who stands up here on Sunday and teaches. Paul is saying that there ought to be hundreds of teachers singing together and admonishing one another. Music is a vehicle that God uses to, to where he takes the word of God in the form of music and applies it deeply into our hearts. When you think about it, when something is put to music, you always remember it better. In fact, to memorize music is probably one of the easiest things you could ever memorize. And here's a sobering reality for me this morning and every pastor in America and in the world today. You're going to walk out of these doors today and come tomorrow morning, you will forget 80% of everything I've said right now. In fact, you might forget about 95% of 
of everything that I have said up to this point. That's an absolutely true reality. But how many times have you left this place and you got a song that's going on in your spirit? You got a song that's etched into your mind and you're humming it and you're singing it and you're dwelling on it for days and days. And it goes on and on. And you can't just seem to shed that song. Sometimes when we come to the end of the worship set here, I'm thinking to myself, I hope that last song is a powerful one because that's the one that I know is going to stick with me for the rest of the day and it's going to carry me in to next week. It's going to be seared into my brain for the next week and I'm going to be singing it over and over again. When the worship team comes up here and collectively leads us and sings songs, please understand that there is more than worship that's going on at that point. It's more than entertainment. It is far more than any kind of a tradition. There is teaching and spiritual formation practices being utilized at that time. And, sometimes, and something I think we need to talk about very candidly to each other is what is our responsibility in all of this? As we teach and admonish one another, it does not end when we come into this room. It does not end when we come here on Sundays. It carries on throughout the week when we leave this place. You know, I think there is an understanding among us that when we gather here on Sundays, often we have unbelievers who join us in this building and who also join us online. There are always people who are visiting. They are what I call spiritual investigators. And that's an incredibly big and good thing. And yet sometimes I think we are afraid when we're in here to engage in singing because we may not know the person who's sitting next to us on the right or the left. We may not know the person in front of us. We may not know the person behind us. And because of that, sometimes we literally hold back on our worship to God out of fear that we might be perceived as weird or something. But let me tell you something about seekers who visit this church in person and who visit us online. And it needs to be acknowledged. People who are seeking spiritual things, well, they have dramatically changed over the last 30 years or so. Our society has become so secularized that people have become so devoid of the things of God that that actually has created a spiritual hunger inside of them. They want to know that there is something greater out there, that there's a God who can transcend their life, who can transcend their circumstances. And so they come into a church service hoping for an experience that will show them that there is a God in heaven and that they might encounter him at this gathering in some kind of a personal and a profound way. People are desiring that, I believe, with all my heart, like never before. And I really believe that as people come into this place, and as they are seeking this encounter with God, they come in here wondering to themselves, do these people in here really believe this? Has it touched their lives? Has it, has it changed them? Has it impacted them? And if all they do is see us standing with our arms folded, kind of looking around the room and not engaging in this time of worship, not experiencing that there is true authenticity and excitement and worship in us as we sing to our God. I think that they think, well, if this hasn't changed their life, how is it possibly going to change mine? 
Singing is just one way that we demonstrate that we have in fact been changed through the power of God in our lives. Do you remember the first church service in the second chapter of Acts? The Holy Spirit descended and the Bible says that people started declaring the wonders of God. And it amazed and it perplexed those who were on the outside so much that by the end of the day, after Peter went out and preached the sermon of his life, thousands of them became followers of the risen Savior. Paul and Silas sang praises to God while they were in prison, and they ended up leading the, the jailer and his entire family to faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And one way for seekers to hear the Word of God is through music. Music is a powerful way for us to proclaim the goodness of God, as well as the story of His abundant grace. So we must all, every one of us in this place, take very seriously our responsibility to teach and to admonish and to, to, to admonish one another through wisdom, through psalms and songs and songs from the Spirit. What I'm trying to say is that there is peace to be found in our heart, then there's got to be praise coming forth from our lips. When you have a song on your lips that teach and admonish you, and they're playing their way through your mind when, you, when you're fighting a battle, when you're in some kind of a struggle, or during times when it's tough for you to be clothed in the, in the fruit of the Spirit, those songs will bring forth an important message in your heart and in your life. And that message is that you have a God who is able. You have a God who is with you. You have a God who is indescribable. And all of this, this plays a part in the process of this personal transformation of sanctification that we talked about last week and that we're touching on here today. I can't tell you how many times a song has, has carried me through a challenging time or a rough time or, or even, a, even a, a season in my life during times when I was tempted not to do the right thing in moments when, when I would have been doubtful or in a dry season when fears were bombarding me. Sometimes a spiritual song is all that I need to set me straight in my, in my very stubborn and sometimes cynical mind. You see, there's a spiritual dynamic that takes place whenever we sing, whenever we meditate on a song that contains words of truth regarding our Lord and Savior. And that's why Paul is telling us here to admonish one another through psalms, through hymns, and through songs of the Spirit. Now, before I move on, there's one more thing I want to discuss regarding this topic. One of my dreams for High Point has been that we would continue to become a multi-generational church. Um, not that we would be separated with the youth over here and the, the seniors over here and the families over here all doing their own thing. I'm talking about being one and being unified with each other in our worship. Whether you are young or whether you are old, whether you are a teenager or a young adult, whether you are a baby boomer or a Gen Xer or a millennial, I wish that we would all come together as a family and I wish sometimes that the name of our church was High Point Family Church that would express that we are all together in this learning and growing and searching in one accord. That no matter what stage of life 
someone on the outside of this place might be where they might be in their stage of life. They know that they can come in here and this is a place where they can be encouraged and they can be strengthened, not just by people in their own age group, but by everybody that attends this church. I dream about all generations coming together and being clothed with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience towards everybody else like never before. And can I just say this? Sometimes singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs doesn't bring out the best in us. Because if it's not our song, if it's not our style, if it's not sung, sung in a way that is suited to my particular preference, we can become impatient and we can even become disengaged. I know people who don't come in till after the music is done. And I think that that's sad. I think that is a, a sad statement to make to your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't have all the answers on what it's like to, all the answers of what it takes to become a multi-generational church. We're figuring that out as we go. But I do know this, until different generations can come together and sing each other's songs joyfully, we will never achieve that, that vision fully. Every generation has to learn to sing each other's songs joyfully. And that means that we are going to have to clothe ourselves with patience and gentleness and kindness. And not just joyfully sing the songs that we like, but joyfully sing the songs that, that we personally may not have chosen. And we need to joyfully sing them together. And we do this because it is an act of worship to our Heavenly Father. And the more mature we are in Christ, and the more fruit of the Spirit that is being developed inside of us, the more patient that every one of us ought to be in this area. Sometimes we must fulfill that scripture to bear with one another on something as simple, yes, as music. And it must be exercised in this context in order to maintain unity within the body, within the church. And I would just like to say how thankful I am to the many seniors of this church who continue to do just that. I know that you would rather be singing the old hymns, every one of them, that you grew up singing. They meant something to you. You love the, the melodies. You love the words in those hymns. They have a great deal of meaning to you. And that's why we try to have Scott always include at least one hymn in our worship set. That's one of the reasons why we continue to host the Southern Gospel concerts here at High Point and will when this COVID thing is over. We, we, we want not to lose that tradition. And again, I am thankful for the openness of the seniors of this church who have decided to put aside their preferences. They have determined that music is an important part of how God brings an entirely new generation into faith in Christ Jesus. And what's so interesting about this is there's going to come a day when our young people are going to be older people themselves, should the Lord tarry. And they will desire to hear the same songs that were so special and so important to them in their early days of walking with Christ. And I hope that they will be as gracious as our seniors have been today, enough for them to understand this bear with one another command. The point is, if we are going to have any hope at all of clothing ourselves with the fruit of the Spirit outside of these four walls, we have to develop it inside these four walls. 
I believe with all my heart. There's something that my former pastor, Tommy Barnett, used to say. He'd say, the message of the cross is sacred. The method is not sacred like the message. In other words, the way the sacred message of the cross is presented, whether it be in a particular style of music or a style of delivering a message, whether you use video or, or dramatic presentations or whatever you use to drive a point home to those who are perishing, the method may not always be your particular style. It might even be done in a way that you're not necessarily comfortable with. But here's the bottom line. If it draws people to Jesus, if it will draw a new generation into the household of faith, we should all be on board. You see, we all look at things differently. We all respond differently. We all have different preferences of how things are supposed to be done. That's okay. God created you that way. He hardwired you just the way he wants you to be. But as a chosen people who are dearly loved, who need to clothe ourselves with the fruit of the Spirit, who are called to bear with one another, who are called to allow the peace of Christ to, to rule our hearts, to, who are called to teach and admonish one another through psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. That can only be accomplished when we look at the greater picture. And that greater picture, never, never let us forget, is full of not us, it's full of people who have yet to come into a redeeming relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a church, we've got to be able to bring the message of the cross in relevant ways here to show people what it's like to live for Jesus in the 21st century. And that all begins, as Paul says, by putting on love. Because it is our love for one another combined with an unceasing love for God that binds us all together in perfect unity. And if you believe that this morning, it's okay to say amen. Scott, will you come forward and help me to work our way down on this? The final verse of our text this morning, I think is the key verse. And I think it is the essential building block for this entire chapter. Verse 17 says this, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is what Paul has been teaching us throughout Colossians. We have a God who has forgiven us and who has reconciled us through Christ Jesus. He has promised us an, an inheritance in heaven, and he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of light of his son. So how are you going to respond to a God like that? I hope you're not just going to respond with a pleasant smile on your face, or you're not going to respond by saying, God, let me talk to you about my backache, or I got a few complaints about my monotonous career and these crazy people that I'm forced to work with that, that drive me absolutely insane. No, you're going to respond by saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. I love you, Lord. I worship you. And I thank you for your loving kindness. I thank you for your forgiveness. And I thank you for your understanding. And I thank you for your grace that enfolds me every single day. You are an indescribable God. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. The blood that washes us clean from our sin. What a gift.
that only you can provide. What a difference it makes in our life to have the hope, the knowledge that we will spend eternity in your presence, that these temporary afflictions that we're going through on earth will be short-lived, but in eternity we would live in perfect peace in a place unlike anything we can even describe or think of beyond our capability of even thinking what heaven will be like. But we thank you for that. We thank you for the promise of your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that indwells us and allows us to accomplish things that we never dreamed possible. Father, we thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes down from you because every gift is from you. So we give you praise. We give you honor today. And Lord, I ask as we leave this place today that your spirit would guide and direct us. The conversations that we have, the things we do, the places we go, that they might bring you glory, that they would honor the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And Father, I pray that you would also give us all an opportunity to share your goodness with someone this week. Swing that door wide open. And as we walk through it, Lord, I know you give us the words to say. The words don't even need to be many. They can be few. But it's this is what Christ has done for me. And you need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, give us all an opportunity to share your goodness this week. And I pray, most importantly, Lord, that you would help us to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul has been sharing with us during this book, that they would be prevalent in our life, that people would see that we are humble, that we are kind, that we are loving, that we are gracious, that we are forgiving, that we get along with other people through the power of the Spirit within us. So I pray that this would all be developed in our lives each and every day, that we truly would become more like Christ every day that we walk and talk and serve you. And Lord, until we come together again, I pray your protection over my church family. I pray protection over COVID, over sickness and disease. And I pray that you'll keep us safe from any accidents, any injury, anything that may come against us so that we can meet together again and be complete and whole. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for changing our lives and giving us the hope that you give us. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here. God bless you.